Well, we're getting ready for um, Passover, and last week I uh, shared with you that, you know, in our Wednesday morning Chaburah, we are going through 1 Timothy, and I thought there's a section there that I think is really helpful for us at this time of year, because our goal is not just to understand more about Messiah in the Passover, but to really see it as a season of renewal, you know? I will talk plenty about how Yeshua is the Passover lamb. We certainly have it on our side. Uh, and we'll be talking about that. But, uh, you know, as, uh, as elders, as leaders, our desire is that these are significant times of years of deepening our relationship with God, not only as individuals, but also communally. Uh, as we said last week, that in the fall and in the spring... Uh, are the times of years of, of renewal. And it uh, is commensurate with the agriculture uh, you know, in Israel. Those are the seasons of ingathering. Uh, and so these need to be seasons of ingathering for us uh, uh, you know, as, as, as well. Uh, there's a tendency to be real busy at these times of year. Uh, and uh, uh, we want to make sure that we're Sort of like, you know, in the Mary and Martha story, sort of uh, sitting at the feet of Yeshua, you know, and really getting the most out of, out of the season. During the uh, counting of the Omer this year, Henry's putting together a devotional for us for 50 days of David in the Psalms, the wholehearted heart of David, uh, you know, in the Psalms. Uh, and uh, really, it, it, David is uh, uh, obviously, obviously quite a figure in the scriptures. And, and as I was saying uh, uh, in regard to uh, the, uh, the Torah, that, uh, you know, when uh, uh, David's life is not an easy life from the minute we meet him until the time he dies, right? Like he's chased by Saul. Uh, his life is in danger, yet he has an opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't do it because the, he knows that God will raise him up. Uh, he's not accepted as king. It's, it's a gradual thing. First, he's anointed uh, with his family. Then, there's an, then he's recognized as the king of Judah. And then after that, he's recognized as the king of, of Israel. And then, of course, he's a man of war uh, and uh, fights a number of battles uh, and then he has his personal battle, personal struggles, uh, and life is not easy for him afterwards. His own son usurps the throne, Absalom. It's, it's a terrible uh, story, really, horizontally speaking. Uh, but in all of it, David is faithful to God. You know, David, is he cries out to God. He doesn't understand why everything's happening to him. He doesn't just say, oh, praise the Lord, uh, my family's falling apart, you know? Uh, you know, he doesn't do that. He cries out to God. Uh, and it is really a great exercise to put together the Psalms with the narrative, you know, in 2 Samuel. Uh, and you can do that because in a, lot of, in a lot of the Psalms of David, in the superscription, which means the little words at the top, it says, David wrote this when Saul was chasing him here and there in the other place. And what we may not be aware of is that in the Hebrew Bible, that's actually verse 1. It's not like extra, you know? Uh, it's actually verse 1. That's why, by the way, if you read the Psalms in the Hebrew Bible, they're usually a verse off from your English Bible. 
because that little, and you know, someone will ask me now, well, then how come in our English Bibles that's not verse 1? You know, you got me uh, on that. I don't know. I don't know why it's not verse 1, just the translator's uh, tradition. Uh, and uh, so there you go. Well, we didn't expect that today, but okay. Well, uh, so anyway, so it is a time of year that we really want to focus on our walk with the Lord. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's a little section here, and we introduced it last week, where Paul is talking to Timothy's mentoring young Timothy, uh, and uh, he's talking about uh, that uh, godliness and, and contentment are of great gain. Uh, and it comes in a, the context of seeking gain elsewhere. You know, trying to be godly, but really seeking gain elsewhere. Uh, in the context of the passage, gain financially. Or trying to find contentment elsewhere. And satisfaction elsewhere. And so Paul makes a big deal out of that, uh, you know, godliness and contentment are of great gain. And so therefore, run away, uh, 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 Timothy, run away uh, from the love, in this context, from the love of money, from the love of everything else that you might think is going to satisfy you, or that your uh, relationship with God is going to be a vehicle for you to get. You know, that your relationship with God, if I really know the Lord, He's going to give me what I want. If I, you know, if I really know the Lord, then it's my time. If I, if I really know the Lord, he's going to give me the wife. He's going to give me the husband. He's going to give me the job. He's going to, he's going to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Right? Uh, and what uh, Paul is trying to say is, you've got it wrong, Timothy, if that's what you're thinking. And so make sure that you instruct people correctly. Because uh, it is when we flee those, run away. Remember we talked about run, like running away from a burning fire, kind of running away. And then he says in the very same verse, on the other hand, they'll pursue, which means the absolute opposite of that. Run after. It's even used uh, uh, in our English Bibles for the word persecute. Uh, in other words, like nip at the heels, chase after it, catch it, you, you know? Uh, and you see it here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, in uh, verse uh, 11. Uh, but flee from these things, you man of God, Remember, we talked about that. He understands who he is, his calling. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We said last time that notice that there's a lot of, of initiative to be taken here. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life. Run away. Run to. It's not passive at all. It's not sort of just wait on the Lord and he'll change your life and then you'll automatically be doing the right thing. It's, that, that's like not what this says, right? You need to go after it. Be proactive. Fight for it. Work on it. Uh, uh, in, in a good way, be obsessed with it. Uh, you know, on, and notice what it is. He says righteousness Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, right? Then uh, you'll notice he says, uh, and Paul often talks this way in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. Now he's going to say a whole bunch of things about the Lord for the purpose of making sure that Timothy understands how important the next thing he says is. 
You know, Paul does that. He'll, he'll say a whole bunch of things that are like saying the same thing over and over again in order that we pay attention to what he's saying. I won't take the time to tell you elsewhere, but, but he does it elsewhere. Uh, so he says here, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and a Messiah, Yeshua, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Now, verse, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. It's so important to him. He prefaces it by saying, you know, remember, in the, in the name of God, I beg you, remember this, I that you keep this commandment without stain or reproach. Uh, and then uh, if we jump down to verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Notice it says, take hold of eternal life farther up. And here he says that they may you know, be generous, that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So basically, what Paul is imploring Timothy to do is to run toward uh, the things of God and the character traits of God and instruct those who uh, are, are rich not to place their hope in those things, but rather for them to pursue the godly things. And how are they to do it? By doing good works and being generous. Okay? So what we want to uh, get for today is rather than look at, you know, the meaning of godliness and then the next week righteousness and, and so on, I, I decided to take some uh, great values uh, uh, that are, are really Jewish values, uh, that uh, are biblical values, and that this is what righteousness and godliness uh, you know, and, and, and all of that really are when you put legs on them. And so the first thing is right in our text, and that is generosity. Generosity, okay? So Paul basically uh, makes this application when he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And after he uses uh, uh, all kinds of statements as a preface to implore Timothy, for him to get it right in his own life, that he's supposed to instruct those, and probably in the community there in Ephesus, the people who had the most tendency to trust in other things would be those who had means, those who were wealthy. And so he doesn't just say, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, but to fix their hope, uh, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, and then he says, he doesn't just say instruct them to do godliness or do righteousness. He says instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I think for many of us, sometimes in our Bible teaching and preaching and reading, we get a little frustrated because 
when we know we're supposed to pursue righteousness, like, how do you do that besides reading the Bible and praying and, you know, and uh, going to services and saying praise the Lord all the time or something? How, you know, uh, how, how do I do it? And so there's a real emphasis on doing things, you know? And of course, you know, in Ephesians, I, I, in the um, second chapter, we're all familiar with this probably, in Ephesians chapter 2, which, by the way, is written to the group of people to whom Timothy is leading. Something to always remember, the relationship of Ephesians and First and Second Timothy. Anyway, he says here in chapter 2, for, in verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? We're created for good works. We're created to serve. We're created to do. And that really is a definition of faithfulness to God. Uh, not just with, uh, you know, character traits that, we, that, that are um, uh, intangible, but to put legs on it uh, and, to indeed, uh, and to indeed live it out. So regarding generosity, you know, throughout the Bible, uh, there, uh, we read about generosity all over the place. Uh, we read about generosity uh, uh, everywhere. Uh, there are commands to care for others uh, in the Torah in all kinds of, uh, in all kinds of, uh, of uh, places. And it's interesting because the, uh, our sages talk about two kinds of generosity. Uh, two kinds of generosity. And if you're familiar with the Bible, and you're actually you're also familiar with Jewish tradition, if I waited long enough, you'd figure them out. One is called teruma, and the other one is uh, tzedakah. Teruma and tzedakah, right? So in uh, Exodus chapter 25, I can turn there. In Exodus uh, 25 and 35, frankly, uh, we read about the building of the uh, tabernacle, Right? So you read in uh, chapter 25 uh, of Exodus at the beginning, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And this is the contribution which you are to raise from them. And then he mentions everything that they need for the building of that. So the word contribution is the word truma. What's interesting about the word truma Basically, it is the word that is used to refer to any kind of voluntary offering to the Lord, like a heave offering or the part of the peace offering that you give to the priest. It's called a truma. It's not just money, okay? And it's not just uh, parts of an animal. Uh, it is when the text is trying to convey the voluntary nature of an offering, the word teruma uh, is, uh, is used. So one of the things we learn from that is to understand that this contribution is an offering to God. It's not just a fundraiser for the building of the tabernacle, okay? I, I, uh, it, again, it's not a fundraiser for the building of the tabernacle. It is an offering given uh, uh, to God. And that's a very particular word that's used. Truma, truma, okay? 
Now, tzedakah, that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, now, tzedakah isn't used very much in the Bible uh, in the context of uh, giving or an offering, but if you look up in your Hebrew Bible, the word for righteousness, you get tzedakah. Tzedakah means righteousness. That's what the word means. Okay? We don't always use it that way. All right? Uh, tzedakah in Judaism means uh, giving. And uh, according to uh, our ancestors, the difference between teruma and tzedakah uh, is teruma is given voluntarily, and tzedakah is what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to give tzedakah. We're commanded to... Usually it's used in the context of helping the poor, or, you know, benevolence, right? Uh, but tzedakah is like a, a, a command to give. Uh, teruma is uh, giving from the heart. I would suggest that they're two sides of the same coin. And that, uh, you know, we're splitting hairs uh, a little bit there. Uh, two sides of the same coin. Because all giving needs to be given voluntarily, even if it's commanded, right? Uh, and uh, uh, what's interesting, though, is uh, that, it, that giving uh, is a very important part of the, uh, of the Torah, the prophets, uh, as well as uh, as well as as uh, the uh, as well as the new covenant, right? Now, what's interesting is, and of course, uh, for our purposes, we only have a few minutes to look at a few different things. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, and I might have said last week, I th I might have said last week we were going to look at this, and I might have done it anyway. And I said, and this is what we're going to talk about next week. Well, this is next week. Here we are. Okay. Usually, when we're reading about giving, uh, it has to do with the tabernacle, even this, the, the truma, the giving voluntarily. It has to do with uh, building, uh, with the building project, right? Uh, even though it's not a building project, it is giving to the Lord, according to the text, right? Uh, or giving to the Levite who has no inheritance of his own, right? The Levite lived off of the giving of people. I. Uh, uh, but we also read uh, that giving is uh, to the Lord, but for the purpose of sharing the wealth of the land. Sharing the wealth of the land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and it's repeated actually in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, in uh, the last two verses of the chapter, it says at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your, in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town, shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So what's interesting about this that we don't read elsewhere but here in Deuteronomy, is that, first of all, a tithe means a tenth, but it always means giving to God. It's never, uh, you know, just give a, give a tithe to somebody or something, you know, uh, lend somebody a tithe. <laughs> you know, you know, it's giving to God, just like Truma. It's, it's given to God, okay? Uh, but 
quite clearly here for the purpose of blessing others. Now, very important that we understand this. It's actually not charity. It's not, I feel sorry for the Levite, so he better throw something his way, uh, or the alien. Now, the alien, isn't that interesting? The alien is the person who's not Jewish who comes to dwell in their midst, okay? Usually the word foreigner is reserved for someone passing through who's not really sticking around. But alien is used for someone who uh, uh, comes in and is not, they're called alien because they're not Israel, but they're dwelling with Israel. Is that interesting? Okay. Uh, so there's, it's a particular category of person. Okay. Uh, an orphan and widow. Uh, people who are vulnerable. So it's quite an interesting array. <laughs> Just to think about that. You know? Levite, alien, orphan, widow. Okay? Uh, and so this tithe, this giving to God, is for the purpose of sharing the wealth with others. Because the idea is, is that everybody in the land who's Israel or dwelling with Israel gets to share the blessing of the land. And the Levite, the alien, the orphan, and the widow are vulnerable people and do not automa- are not automatically able to share the wealth of the land. It's not about because they're poor, we throw money their way. That's not the idea. The idea is, is that the blessing, that we all have a responsibility to make sure that, the, that, we, that everybody uh, uh, shares in the blessing. And even beyond that, it says, you'll be blessed. By doing this, you, it's like a boomerang effect. You yourself are blessed. By being a blessing, okay? So, very interesting that uh, there is this uh, a command to tithe, the, and what you're doing is, it's your produce. Notice, see, it's, your, it's what comes out of the land, what, what God is providing for you, share, so everybody gets to share uh, in, uh, in, the, in, in the blessing, okay? Now, on any level... And, and, and when we talk about giving, it's not enough to say that oh, there's a command to give or be generous. Uh, of course, in that First Timothy passage, the idea about being generous is that, that, that by giving of yourself, you end up being content. That contentment doesn't come by accumulating. Contentment comes by giving, giving away. One of the great, one of the, you can add it to the many Bible paradoxes right? Like those who are last shall be first and so on and so forth, right? As we give of ourselves in every way, shape, and form, we end up being content. The opposite of what our culture teaches us, okay? But this is what the scriptures teach us. So really, when you uh, think about it, this is all an outworking of the Shema, right? It's all an outworking of the Shema, when we read uh, about loving uh, God, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. That means everything, okay? Yeah, there isn't anything left out of that, okay? Uh, your emotions, uh, your, uh, the way you live your life, uh, your resources, everything that you have. 
when we are living that kind of life, we will indeed be satisfied, okay? That's a blessing that we receive. But we live that kind of life by giving of ourselves, by being a generous people in whatever way, you know, your, your time, your abilities, uh, all of it, your, your, your finances, uh, all of it. Now, it's interesting because in the Brit Harasha, there's a couple of passages that basically say the same thing. And, and, and the reason they say the same thing is because the Shema is like this overarching uh, worldview uh, that affects everything in, in the Bible. Okay? So uh, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about when he would go to these different places, you know, when uh, these congregations that had been started all around, you know, Europe and Asia, he would receive an offering. And most of the time, it was for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That's who the saints are in these passages. When he talks about giving to the saints, he's referring to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Okay? All right. So he gives an example of it uh, in chapter 8. He talks about the Macedonians, about how the, he went to Macedonia and how they were so generous. But he says something very, very interesting here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the congregations of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's a lot of words, okay? Uh, but what he says is, the grace of God, the, the unmerited favor of God was manifested in this congregation by in their poverty and in their difficulty, they exhibited this joy. You know, Paul, uh, uh, Peter calls it joy unspeakable, Right? Uh, like, you know, you can't really define it. It isn't based on how God blessed them with lots of money in Macedonia. But he blessed them in knowing him. And this is called the grace of God. And in their poverty and in that in, inner joy, it became manifested to Paul in their liberality, in their generosity. For I testify, now, now just like us, Probably the people, he's, Paul's thinking, I better explain what I mean. So now in verse 3 and 4 and 5, he's going to say, this is what I mean by that. Okay? What does it mean that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality? This is, this is what happened. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. In other words... The truma, they gave from their heart. Beyond their ability, they gave. It just like came out of them. It's who they are. Begging us with much entreaty. That is, when he says begging us with much entreaty, it's like begging us with much begging. For the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They begged us, here, we want to support the saints in Jerusalem, the holy ones, the holy ones in Jerusalem. The believers there, we want to, we, please, I'm begging you, take it, we're giving. And he says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So that last part, 
they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. How is it that they could give so liberally? How is it that they could give beyond measure? How is it that they could give so sacrificially? Because they gave themselves first to the Lord. Well, the Shema is saying, give yourself first to the Lord. Paul is saying, this is how the Macedonians lived. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, you know, basically, we're not going to take the time to turn. Well, no, we should. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know this passage, if you've been around the block a few times, in the Brit Chadashah. In verse 24 of chapter 6, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't serve both God and money. So he says, for this reason, I so he's like saying, choose God, okay? If you're going to love one, choose one, because your needs will be met. He says, for this reason, I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food in the body than clothing? Then he goes on to talk about how God takes care of everything. He's going to take care of you. And then at the end, at the end of it, he says, but so this is what you should do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Give yourselves first to the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your might. It's a recurring theme of surrender to God, of loving God with all that you are and all that you have, and don't categorize your relationship with God. Don't simply be a religious person on Shabbat, uh, you know, and, uh, and all that. But uh, in every part of every aspect of our lives, Give yourself to God. And at the end of the day, you'll be satisfied and you'll be the kind of person who gives, who loves, who pours into other people and makes a difference in people's lives. And you'll be blessed for it. Now it's said another way. Turn to Romans chapter 12. And what's interesting is what comes after this verse that we're going to read. In Romans chapter 12... I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so you're familiar with that, right? Be a living sacrifice. May I suggest that a living sacrifice is giving yourself to God, is loving, uh, loving God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all of your might, uh, that this is uh, this recurring theme of every aspect of who you are. Also, he says here, it's, it's worship. What's interesting, I didn't say it, but in, when we talk about the truma and we talk about the tithe, it's all worship. But giving is worship. Giving is part of worshiping God. Giving our time, giving our finest, giving ourselves. Having an attitude of generosity is not just about your wallet. It's about everything, including that. Okay? Uh, and so, but then he goes on to say, what's interesting is what comes after Romans 12, 1 and 2. Okay? It says, for through the grace, in verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, every person among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, 
but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each one according to his faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Messiah, and individually members of one another, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let each exercise them accordingly. Prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Service in his serving. He who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. Gives with liberality. Leads with diligence. Uh, you know, uh, uh, shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Notice now in verse 10, he gets away from, you know, you may do this and you may... Do but that we all be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, so on and so forth. The point being is that he goes from saying being a living sacrifice to all these one another passages. That if you're going to be a living sacrifice, you are going to be a blessing to others. You will have a spirit of generosity in your attitude. It's not about me. It's not about being thanked. It's not about getting this. It's not about that. It's about loving people. Uh, uh, it's about loving people unconditionally, being generous in every which way, shape, or form. It means not being offended, but rather loving and giving uh, and manifesting this uh, you know, uh, in, in, in our giving. Okay. Sometimes, though, uh, what we do, and uh, which, getting back to now 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul was trying to implore uh, Timothy, is that sometimes, even with the best intentions, our interests go elsewhere because we have certain needs in our lives and you know, they may be uh, ones that are way deep down, you know, unmet needs in our lives or, or, or other issues, things that have taken place uh, in our lives that cause our, our hearts to get hardened and to not be as much as we might even want to live this way. We find it very difficult to live this, to live this way, right? Uh, and, and our hearts, as one writer said, our hearts kind of get stopped up. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, from uh, uh, being able to live this way. So uh, what is it uh, that we tend to do? Well, you know, uh, I uh, mention this passage every once in a while uh, because it's so applicable. It's at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah in the second chapter in verse 13, where he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so what we do is rather than focus on God himself to meet my needs, we focus on building our own little kingdoms, our own cisterns, our own systems, uh, our own ways of life, our own uh, worldview, whatever it is, because we think that if I do that, there will be satisfaction. What kind of cisterns do we build that hold no water? Everything everything. If we have the idea that if I get married, I will be happy and satisfied, that if I just got to get married, I'll be happy and satisfied. If I get that promotion in my job, I'll be happy and satisfied. 
I, I, from the news we know, if my kid gets into that university, we'll be happy and satisfied. Uh, if I get that, if this happens, if I get a good report from the doctor, if, if this, if that, I'll be happy and satisfied. Those are all building cisterns that hold no water. Because at the end of the day, we are not a satisfied people. We are not a satisfied people. We're a satisfied people when we hunger and we thirst uh, for a, a God, you see. You know, Psalm 42 is a great passage. In my Bible, I wrote depression over it. That's the one where David is praying, you know, my couch is wet from my tears, and, and I'm just beside, oh, oh, my soul, why are you down? Why are you cast down? You know what's interesting about that? The very first verse of uh, Psalm 42, he lays out what he really wants, and it isn't, Lord, fix the situation. It's, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and, and appear before God? That's what he really wants, is more of a God, more of God. So how do we remove the impediments uh, that, that keep us from it? I would suggest that if we wait, if we pray and we just wait for the feeling, you could be waiting forever, Okay. Does that, what am I saying? Prayer doesn't uh, uh, matter? No, prayer matters a lot. But God works most of the time in consort with our will as Messiah followers. And so when we know what the right thing to do is and we begin to do it and we pray, you will see transformation come. You will see your heart melt. You will see a desire for godliness as you practice it. It's like the, uh, you know, the uh, Jewish practice of Musar, right? The idea there is there are godly character traits. And you decide, okay, I'm going to work on this one. I'm going to look for opportunities for, well, I'll use generosity. I'm going to look for opportunities for generosity. I'm not going to say, Lord, make me generous, and then I'll give. Or Satan, stop taking that spirit of selfishness and pouring it all over me. And I'll wait until it's all over, and then I'll give. No, just start being generous and look for opportunities to practice it, like spiritual disciplines, you know? And there's a lot of them, but we're talking about generosity. Uh, we're talking about generosity uh, uh, today. Begin to uh, uh, practice it, okay, uh, by doing it. So there's a, a, a passage in... Uh, one of the last little prophets of Israel, Haggai, pronounced Haggai. I used to know an old, an, an elderly Bible teacher from my beginning days when I was at the University of Buffalo, and, and he was my like mentor. He always referred to this prophet as Haggai. I don't know why. Okay, there we are. In the first chapter, where'd he go? Wait a minute, where'd he go? Oh, there we are. Okay. There we go, just before Zechariah. I'm all over the place. Okay, so this is kind of neat. I need to read something in Hebrew. So the idea here is, is that, uh, you know, uh, this is after the Babylonian captivity. The people have returned, and they've begun to settle down, right? And they build themselves their houses. Okay, but, the, but 
you know, they're, they're facing opposition in the building of the temple, right? And so they kind of get, uh, they kind of get uh, disillusioned a little bit in rebuilding the temple. They don't do it. And so you read here in verse uh, 3, 4, and 5 of chapter 1, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Okay? Wow. So uh, in Hebrew, it says this. It doesn't exactly say consider your ways. That last phrase, simu levavchem al derachechem. Simu levavchem al derachechem. Put in your heart your ways. In other words, when he, you know, consider your ways means think from your heart. Place in your heart where you're at. Think from your heart where you're at. And obviously, get your priorities in order, is what he is indeed saying. Get your priorities uh, in order. Uh, and so, how important it is when we think about giving, whether we're, whether we're talking about the illustration of a, a, a truma for the tabernacle or the temple, or the Levite, uh, or the people who dwell uh, um, uh, uh, among us, that how important it is for us to be generous. Now, giving of our finances, that is like where the rubber meets the road for us. It's the hardest thing, because that's where the greatest insecurity comes from. The greatest in 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 insecurity and the need to you know, I need to uh, accumulate a certain amount of wealth for my future, for my retirement, to be, you know, to be satisfied, you know, and, and then I will, I will give. Well, you know, according to the scriptures, uh, the first thing we see here is uh, a priority of, uh, of giving. We need to consider our ways. You know, I'm going to suggest that everybody who comes to Beth Messiah on a regular basis does not participate, does not participate in, in giving, in being generous. Many of us are receivers. It's good to receive because that's part of what we're here for. But we're also here to be generous. That's part of worship. It's part of our commitment to, to one another, you know? And so when we put money in, the, and we call it the tzedakah box, don't we? When we put money in the tzedakah box, we're giving to God for the purpose of blessing the work. Whether we're talking about uh, the place, whether we're talking about the people, whether we're talking about whatever it is. Because when we have that right priority of giving, that's how anything happens at Beth Messiah happens. It's how anything happens. It's how the sisterhood does something, how the brotherhood does something, how the youth do something, how people get paid, how we pay for the lights, how we do anything that we do. It all comes out of that Sadaka box. You know, I have a good friend uh, who once said to me, he's in ministry, he said, you know, Howard, I can't believe you put that box in the back. How do you not, how do you not pass a plate? You, you know, how do you not do that? 
Uh, and I said, well, because the motivation isn't like, okay, the plate's in front of me. I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to put something in. No, the motivation is giving ourselves to God. The motivation is giving ourselves to God. I believe very much, completely, that when we are giving ourselves to God, there is no issue of generosity when we give ourselves to God. How important it is for us to be thinking in that broader term, that broader way. Generous in our time, generous just in our, in our way of life, uh, which includes giving. And there is a priority of, of giving. I could do a whole teach, teaching on the, what the Bible says about priorities and giving, but we don't have time for that. But get it from this, you know. Read Galatians 6.10, but first to the household of faith. You also read that. That's also a priority of giving. But we read other things. Do you know that we read, for example, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16? It's a great verse. Uh, at, right at the beginning of the chapter there, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says this. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, again, the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem, as I directed the congregations of Galatia, so do you also. And this is what he says. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection may be made when I come. What's interesting is the first thing he says, on the first day of every week, regularly, not uh, guilted into it once, and so I wrote some big check because, oh my goodness, I felt terrible. And, no, just regularly, right? Like part of life, part of my regular Life is generosity, giving. First of it, then it says, let each one of you, let each one of you, not somebody else will do it. I don't have any money. Leave it up to that guy, you know? No, everybody is responsible. Everybody is responsible. Each one of you put aside and save. In other words, have a budget, be thinking about it, right? As he may prosper... <laughs> In other words, well, that's a whole story. As he may prosper, meaning the more that you prosper, the more that one should give. Now, my quick illustration on that is always this. If you earn $100 and you say, oh, I'm going to give 10%, okay, that's $10. That means you keep 90, okay? Let's say you get a 100% raise. Now I get $200. Whoo! I'm giving, I'm doubling my giving. I'm giving 20. And I get to keep 180. Giving as we may prosper, may I suggest, means give a little more than 20 when you earn more money. Give another percentage point up or something like that, right? So we read about personal responsibility, giving regularly. And then, you know, we read uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 about not giving grudgingly, but cheerfully right? And it's about, it's about uh, participation, giving ourselves to God, and, and lots, lots of other places about being, being blessed by giving and being satisfied. The more I am generous, the more I give myself to God in every way, shape, and form, the more I will be satisfied and pleased in my life. And I'm just going to finish up with one little uh, anecdote from the Gospel of Mark in the 12th chapter. In the Gospel of Mark in the 12th chapter, the very end of the chapter, 
You know the passage, right? It says here, uh, and he sat, this is Yeshua, and he sat in verse 41 of Mark 12, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitudes were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. That's a great thing, right? Wealthy people putting in large sums of money. Isn't the most interesting thing, first of all, that he's watching? He sat right across from where the people are putting in money, and he's watching them put it in. That tells us that everybody is accountable. Everybody is accountable to God for that. He sees. He sees it. And, wow, the rich people are putting in a lot of money. Great. And a poor widow came and put in her two copper coins, which amount to a cent. And, the, and, and calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on, sacrificially. She gave sacrificially, and that is what Yeshua points out. It's not about the size of the check. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. What is he saying? He's saying she gave herself first to the Lord. She is living out the Shema. And that's what happens. If our goal is to say, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to give sacrificially. You know, that's not the attitude. But when in the big picture, we're saying, Lord, I belong to you. Remember what God told our ancestors? When you get into the land, you're going to forget that God is the one who gave you the ability to make wealth, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 8. That it all comes from God. If it all comes from God and I'm all in, I will be generous and give because I love you, Lord. Right? It's, it's up to those who are, who are in the leadership to recognize that, wow, every dollar that we receive is like people's worship money. Like it, this, this, is, this belongs to God. And so we need to be prudent. We need to be careful you know, in, in every cent that gets spent, and it all better be for the building up, uh, you know, uh, of, the, of the work that uh, the Lord has called us to, right? And so this is a big responsibility, generosity. Uh, and, uh, and I hope that it, that it really does indeed affect us. Uh, and that not just once, you know, not just today, but that regularly... Uh, we are being generous with our time, with our abilities, with our finances. And, you know, I'm a little reticent when I say time and abilities. You know why? Because sometimes what we end up doing is saying, well, I really uh, can't afford it, so I'll give more of my time, and there, see, I'm being generous. When what we really can't do is open up my hand. And, uh, and put money in the tzedakah box. That's why the finances, that's like so close uh, to the heart, where you really have to trust God, where you really have to say, Lord, I'm in your hands. You know, I'm not going to build a cistern filled with holes, but I'm really going to trust you. That is a challenge for us. But it's not about money. It's about our heart. It's about giving ourselves to the Lord. And I hope that as we approach Passover. We might consider our ways. We might place our heart on the right path. We might really dwell on it and think about it and saying, 
you know, have I given myself to the Lord? And maybe that's why I have such a difficult time being free. You know, being free in my, uh, not just in my generosity, but in my loving kindness, in my purity, in my humility. It's like the key that unlocks it all. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several other of these uh, values uh, that really puts legs on the idea of godliness and righteousness and faith and, and trust. And so may we be a generous people. Remember Yeshua, God, you know, we're supposed to be like the Lord, right? He was the most generous of all, right? He loved uh, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet enemies, we read in Romans chapter 5, right? He died for us. He gave us life. He gave him, he, think of the words, he gave himself to us. May we live that kind of Messiah life giving ourselves and every part of ourselves to God. May an attitude of generosity overtake us and demonstrate freedom in Messiah. May we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. May we love him with every ounce of of our heart and our soul and our might. May that be who we are and what we're becoming. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you, God, uh, for this season of the year where we can put some, some new life into the Shema and its application of what it means to be a living sacrifice, of what it means to give ourselves first to you, and then how it manifests itself in perhaps one of the most difficult areas of life, and that is generosity. And that is the pocketbook, where we place so much emphasis for our personal happiness, security, and well-being. May we be like that widow. May we trust you, O Lord, a God. Lord, uh, what comes to mind is a great warning, that great warning passage from the book of Acts of Ananias and Sapphira who lied uh, to the Ruach about giving, of all things. That's why they died, Lord. May we recognize the seriousness of Teruma and Sadaka. we pray in Yeshua's name.